So we continue Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And last week we began to see that Paul talked about the rights and the freedoms and how he had a right to not exercise those freedoms for the sake of the gospel. Chapter 9 began with a powerful question. He says, am I not free? And in answering that question, Paul has affirmed that the essence of his freedom lies in his ability to use it to deny himself for the sake of the gospel. Now, I think it's important that we remind ourselves that Paul, throughout this letter, has reminded the church there in Corinth that they had moved away from the central teaching of the gospel, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, the message of the cross. And the message of the cross is a message of death. It's a message of sacrifice. And so Paul says, yes, as a believer in Christ, I have certain rights that I have in Christ. I'm free in Christ. He says, but those freedoms should never be used as a way to be a stumbling block for someone else. And Paul's argument revolves around uh, two personal convictions that we find. Uh, let, let's read uh, verses 15 through 18 in chapter 9. Paul says, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe is me, woe to me, if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So there in verse 15, Paul says, I have uh, made, not made use of any of these rights that I have. And in verse 19, he said, uh, I have made myself a servant to all. Each of these reflects a cross-centered mentality, a cross-centered spirituality that has come to dominate all of Paul's decision-making and all of his behavior. And this is, this is the goal that we're reaching for here, that you and I who are part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, do we have that cross-centered mentality, that sacrificial love that dominates everything we do, every decision we make? Not just here in this church, but in my home, in your job, everywhere, and then and, and the behavior that you do. Uh, the, the important point here is our tendency, we have a tendency to regard the gospel of Christ crucified simply as a way into the Christian life. But it doesn't stop there. The message of the cross, the, the, the doctrine of Christ crucified, the gospel, is not just for those who need to be saved. It is for those of us who are saved. It must be a part of our daily life. It's not a way just to get into the Christian life. It's the way to go on in the Christian life. 
And, we can, and once we move away from that, which is what the church in Corinth had done, once you move away from that, then all these other things begin to come in that disrupt and deter the message of the gospel. <coughs> Not only is the cross the expression of God's grace by which our sin is covered and redemption accomplished, but it is also the shape of the application of that saving work in our life and character. Now, I want you to notice something that Paul is making a point here of. He says, not only do I preach the gospel, I live the gospel. And if you don't do both, you're wasting your time. It does no good to preach it if you don't live it. And Paul's point here is this. He says, look, the cross, the message of the cross is that I must deny myself, take up my cross and follow Christ, that, that, that I don't matter anymore. You know, John the Baptist, he gave us some of the most profound words you will find anywhere in the Bible. They came to John and they, you know, John had seen Jesus coming and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And some of John's disciples, they left John and went to following Jesus, which is what they were supposed to do. And then some of his other disciples, they come and say, hey, John, you know, you remember that guy you pointed out? Well, everybody's leaving you and going to them. And John said this. Listen, this should be the mentality of every follower of Jesus Christ. He must increase and I must decrease. Think about that. He must increase and I must decrease. It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. So we see there in verses 15 through 18, the gospel sacrifice. Paul identifies his free preaching of the gospel as his boast, which he would rather die than give up. Now, he, he's not boasting about how spiritual he is. Paul's not saying, look, I give the gospel. Look how wonderful I am. That's not Paul's point at all. Uh, he is under divine compulsion to devote his life to the work of the gospel. In verse 16, he says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Now, when I was a young preacher, and I thought about this as I was studying for this message. When I was a young preacher, I loved that verse right there. That was my life verse. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. But here's the problem with it. When I first looked at it, the focus was on me. Woe to me. I got to preach. I need to preach. Woe to me if I don't preach. That's not Paul's point at all. Paul, that, that is not even the emphasis of that. Paul says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. That's the focus. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Paul has grasped that a life of gospel preaching is inseparable from a life of gospel sacrifice. And Paul sees his self-denying sacrifice as expressing and demonstrating the very essence of the message of Christ crucified. And as he preaches the free gospel of the sacrificial love of Christ, Paul says, I can offer it without cost. It's free. This was his great reward, to freely offer the gospel. And, and so Paul is rejoicing in that. Then look at verse 19. <clears throat> He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. 
to those outside the law. I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. So, uh, you know, in Paul's day, slavery was, was very common in Corinth. There would have been slaves everywhere. So Paul uses this, this, this uh, concept of a servant, which is better translated as slave. Now, most slaves would be anxious to gain their freedom. But the paradox of the gospel is this, is that we as believers are ready to commit ourselves to being slaves to all. You know, there was a time when Jesus, he, he came upon his disciples and they were discussing among themselves who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And from the context, it almost sounds like Peter is saying, well, look what I did. I must be somebody. I mean, I left my fishing, my, all of my fishing thing and everything. And Matthew says, well, look, I made a good living as a tax collector, and I walked away from it to follow Christ. And Jesus told him, he says, you want me to tell you who the greatest of all is? The one who serves everybody. That's the greatest of all in the kingdom of heaven. And this is what Paul, this is his mentality. He says, I have become a slave to everyone. I'm a servant of all. I'm not above anyone. Now, Paul, if anybody had a right, and Paul talks about this in another place, he says, look, if anybody had a right to come in here and say, look, do you know who I am? I'm, I'm Paul. I'm the one that met Jesus on the road to Damascus. I'm the one that has been chosen to be the, the, the apostle to the Gentiles. You better listen to what I'm saying. God sent me to you. But Paul doesn't do that. He says, no. He says, I don't, I don't, I don't approach you in that way. <coughs> Paul says that this servant attitude will totally consume his lifestyle. In the same way that no slave has any control over any of his time or any of his energy. You think that when Paul was stoned and left for dead, do you think Paul wanted to say, you know what, this is not for me. I think I'm going to go do something else. You know, or maybe when the mob was surrounding him and they were about to take him and they were about to kill him, if the Romans hadn't intervened, and maybe Paul would have said, okay, look, I didn't sign up for this. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that because the gospel consumed his life. Listen, folks, you can take this as hard or as easy as you want to. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, if the gospel does not consume your life, you're failing. It's just that simple. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have other things to do in life. But you know what's interesting? Do you know that I was reading the other day about a church in the, the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. Iran is probably the most hostile nation towards Christianity than any nation on earth. And yet the fastest growing church in the world is the underground church in Iran. And, and the thing about it is 
the people, the, the believers in Iran, their entire being, their entire life revolves around the church and serving Christ. Can you imagine if we were to have that mentality? And that's what Paul's saying to them. He's saying <clears throat> that uh, it, it's a totally consuming lifestyle. You know, and, and Paul here, he, he's using this metaphorically. You know, there in verses 20 through 22, Paul spells out three specific examples. He, he identifies three categories of people, the Jews, those under the law, Gentiles, those outside the law, and then the weak. And Paul says, I am all things to all people that I might win some. Now, we have to be very careful here because I don't want you to misunderstand what Paul is saying. There was no compromising with Paul Paul doesn't say, when I'm over here with the Jews, I act like a Jew. And when I'm over here with the Gentiles, I act like a Gentile. And, you know, the, Gentile, the Jews are over here, and they don't like the Gentiles. So when I'm with them, I act like I don't like the Gentiles. And the Jew, Gentiles, they don't like the Jews. And Paul, Paul, that's not what he's saying. He says, I don't do that. But Paul says, look, I have learned that the most important thing, the most important thing, is that I might win them to Christ. Not my freedoms, not anything there. Paul identifies these three. And Paul's slavery here consists of laying aside his freedoms and his rights so that the gospel might not be hindered by unnecessary cultural differences. And rather than asserting his freedom... The gospel slave is prepared to sacrifice his rights so as to win them to Christ. I pastored a church one time where this man came to visit. <clears throat> and he came the next Sunday and I asked him, I said, hey, can I come and visit with you? And he said, yeah. He said, I, I've been looking for a church and I'd like to talk to you about this one. So I went and visited with him and I said, uh, I said now first thing I want to know, I said, are you saved? And he said, absolutely. And I, and I have learned that when people tell me that, I want to know, well, tell me how that happened. Tell me, what, tell me the story behind it. Because nine times out of ten, you ask people, are they saved? They'll say yes, and they have no idea what that means. So he began to tell me his story. And he said, do you know what? He said, do you know why, how I got saved? And I said, how? And he said, offense. I said, offense? And he said, offense led to my salvation. He said, let me tell you the story. He said, next door to me, there used to live an older man. He'd passed away at this time, but this older man lived over there. And he said, when I moved in, he said, I had a couple of big dogs, so I had a, a chain-link fence put around my property. And he had a large property. I mean, the lots were like two and a half acres. So it was a big fence. <clears throat> and he said, and I got to noticing after about six months, he said that when they put the fence up along this one side, they went five feet onto his property. And he said, and I thought, wow, I can't believe the guy hadn't even said anything about that. He said, so I went over to the old man, and I, I, he was outside working on his car, and I introduced myself and said, look, I'm sorry. He said, but <clears throat> when they put my fence up, they, uh, they, they, they put it accidentally five feet onto your property. And he said, I know. And, and I, I looked at him, and I said, well, I said, you know, can I buy the property? And he said, no, sir. And he said, so you're going to make me pay to move that fence? And he said, nope. He said, son, you got bigger problems than that fence. 
And he said, then I got defensive because I thought the old man now is getting, and he said, son, he said, do you know Jesus Christ? Where will you spend eternity? And he said, I was, I was taken by surprise. And he said, the old man was talking. And he just he said, I kept trying to go back to the fence. And the old man kept taking me. And he, the old man said, son, I don't care if your fence is 10 foot over on my line. He said, I don't care. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter, son. All that matters is, do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? And he said, and that led to me coming to Christ. And he said, you know what? That old man had every right to tell me, yes, you've got to move that fence. And he said, but my soul meant more to him than a little bit of property. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Paul's saying, look, we, I give up these things that I might win those to Christ. To, to the Jew, I'm a Jew. To the Gentile, I'm a Gentile. And the challenge of Paul's uh, original readers was whether they were prepared to be sacrificial servants following the example of Christ. And let me ask you, what about us? Are we willing to do that? To arrive at my life decisions on the basis of how it will help or hinder the progress of the gospel. You think about that. Where you live, where you work. How you treat your neighbors, how you treat your church members. Everything we do should revolve around how does this hinder or help the spread of the gospel. The salvation of as many as possible becomes the dominating concern of your life. I mean, I go back to the guy with the fence. The old man could have said, yes. That's my property. No, you can't buy it. Made the man pay all the money to have that one tore up and have a new one put in where it belonged. And then that man could have died and gone to hell. All because of offense. But all because of offense, he's not. He's going to spend an eternity in heaven. What would it mean for us? Rearranging our career plans, reassessing my use of time, or reassessing my attitude towards money. <clears throat> I was watching, uh, I think it was on G3, they had a conference, and they, you know, uh, their conferences, preachers up on stage, and people from the audience, you know, they write in and ask questions, and they all try to answer them. And they were talking about how hard it is today to find a true church that truly preaches the Bible, that is a gospel-centered church. <clears throat> and I, I believe it was Dr. Stephen Lawson, he, he was telling this story about this man that he met that uh, was telling him, he says, you know, he said, I lived in such and such place. He said, I had a career. He said, I'd been at this place for like 23 years. And, and he said, you know, in, in this town we lived in, there was no church that preached the gospel. None. He said there was not a church with, he said the nearest church we could find that actually preached the Bible, that actually was a gospel-centered church, was over four hours away. And Stephen Lawson said, so I asked him, I said, so, so what did you do? Did you start one? And he said, well, I thought about that. He said, but I couldn't find any like-minded people to do it. 
He said, you know what I did? He said, I quit my job, I uprooted my family, and I started a whole new career in a town where the church was at. Because that was what was important to me. And this is the mentality that Paul's talking about here, about rearranging your life for the sake of the gospel. Uh, you know, supposing that I might have to give up some things that I really want to do or some things that I really want to buy in order to give myself to a specific work of service. Real Christianity not only declares but lives out the Lordship of Christ. We, we, we use praise and we say, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray and we say, oh Lord. And I wonder how many times Jesus looks at us and says, why do you call me Lord when you don't do the things that I say? And Paul says here, he says, look, I am willing to give it all up. Give it all up for this. And perhaps the challenge for us today is to realize that we don't sufficiently share in the blessings of the gospel because we are not sufficiently committed to the sacrificial servanthood, which is the spiritual lifestyle of the cross. Now, let me go back to something I said earlier about that, those, those people whose life revolves around the church. Do you know why their life revolves around the church? Because their life revolves around the cross. It revolves around Christ. And Christ loves his church. And so this is, this is where Paul is trying to get across to these Corinthians. He says, look, and remember what we said last week. And, and this is, to me, is just comical. Because... Uh, the problem they had with Paul was not that he wanted too much money, but that he wouldn't take any money. That was his problem, and they, they were offended by that. And Paul says, I have a right to receive from you whatever you give me. He says, I have a right to even demand of you, if I'm going to stand and I want to serve you, that, that you should pay me. You should take care of my needs. Paul says, but you know what? I'm giving that all up. I'm putting aside my rights because it's not worth it to me because uh, some might be offended by this, and I want to preach the gospel. Look at verse 24. <clears throat> Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul now adopts another metaphor, and, and he has in mind the Greek games that, were, that, that went on there, uh, and he applies it to the gospel lifestyle. The prize is not won without training, discipline, and hard work. And Paul begins to apply uh, his cross-centered principles to the church as the very essence of godly living. The necessity of self-control. The necessity of discipline. Now, last night, I was sitting there yesterday, and I was uh, putting my sermon, you know, going through it in my head, going over my notes and everything, and on my TV back here, I had a football game on. Yeah. Kansas City Chiefs and the Miami Dolphins. Kansas City. Wind chill was like negative 27. 
And I was, I, I, I come across this and I, that football game came to my mind. Now, let me tell you something. I love football. I like high school football. I like college football. I love the NFL. And here's why. When I watch the NFL, and, and I'm going somewhere with this, okay, so just bear with me. I love the NFL because these are the best of the best in the world. That's what they are. They are the best of the best. They all have a goal. That goal is called a Super Bowl. These young men, this is what I, I admire about these, these athletes in, in the NFL. And I know th this applies to all sports in the same way, but, you know, once you get out of football, there really is no sport. But listen, <laughs> they begin when they're small children playing Pop Warner football. They interviewed this uh, young man one time who was in the NFL. And they asked him, they said, when did you start playing football? And he said, I think I was seven years old. He said, I remember my, my Pop Warner coach asked me, he said, so what do you want to do? He said, he was asking me what I wanted to do, where I wanted to play on the field. He said, I misunderstood him. And I said, I want to win a Super Bowl. He said, I was seven years old. He said, you know what I did? He said, I want a Super Bowl. But here's the thing. And, and here's where this comes in. These athletes spend years of discipline and hard work to obtain that ultimate goal, which in the NFL is a Super Bowl. I mean, isn't that wonderful? And I admire that about them, the dedication that it takes and the hard work and the sacrifices they have to make. But you know what Paul says? He says, they do it to obtain a perishable wreath. That super, that, that Lombardi trophy that they hold up, it's going to one day be nothing but dust. One day it's not going to mean anything. But the point that Paul's making here is, if these athletes are so determined to do what they do to reach a goal that is going to be for nothing ultimately, how much more should you and I as believers be willing to sacrifice and do the hard work to obtain our goal? Now, don't get the idea here that our goal is salvation. Salvation is not for sale. Salvation is not earned. Salvation is what God freely gives to us as a gift when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's not talking about salvation. Paul's talking about the rewards of being faithful, of being, uh, being willing to sacrifice and, and do the hard work. Listen, I learned a long time ago that as a preacher, that if I want to be an effective, I started to say successful, and that's the wrong word. If I want to be an effective preacher of the gospel, I have to learn how to study. I have to learn how to work. It takes sacrifice. Times when I'd rather be doing something else, when I know I need to be in God's word, because when I preach it, I need to be a, a faithful to the word. But it applies not just to preachers, it applies to all of us. The necessity of discipline, the discipline and determination of an athlete often puts to shame the half-hearted, casual nature of Christian discipleship as they search, uh, seek a perishable prize. Listen, you can, you can, uh, I, I had somebody get mad at me for what I'm about to say already this morning, so if you do, that's okay. 
Somebody, I'm not going to say who, somebody called me that goes to a different church. Somebody called me last night and said, can you believe we're not having church in the morning? And I said, why? The preacher said it was too cold. And I said, you're joking, right? She said, no. No, he said it was just too cold to get out. And I wonder, I asked them, I said, what are they going to do when the persecution comes? That's what I told you this morning. What are they going to do when it really becomes something to go to church? But Paul says this dedication, this sacrifice, this hard work, that we don't do it to obtain a perishable, uh, a perishable crown, but we do it to receive an imperishable crown. Listen, the Bible tells that, that there are incentives for me to be faithful to Christ. That I will receive crowns. But receiving the crowns is not the good part. You know what the good part is? That I'm going to turn around and throw them right back at his feet. And say, only you are worthy. Can you imagine? I'm standing there, Cindy's standing there beside me. And Cindy has just got crown after crown. She's just been faithful. She's hard work. She's sacrificed. And she's just thrown. And I'm standing there with absolutely nothing to give him. And I'll be ashamed. And Paul says there's no reason for that. The reward. Uh, but, but the rewards are not the only incentive. The glory of the heavenly reward is that it is available to all faithful slaves of Christ. You don't have to be a preacher to be faithful to God. You don't have to be an elder. You don't have to sing. We can all be uh, faithful in, a, in whatever God has called us to do. You know, I read the other day where Dr. Paul Washer, I, I love this. He said, if you go to a foreign country and establish churches in that country... But God called you to be a janitor in a little nowhere town in, your, in, in this state. He said, then you've been unfaithful to God if you went over there instead of doing this. Be faithful where God has put you. Now, th these are challenging words, and even more so when we consider how easy it is for individual believers and even whole congregations to just run aimlessly. Many churches are aimless, drifting from one, one week to another. Listen, is that what you do? Do you leave here this morning and say, okay, I'm done with church till next Sunday? If, that's how, if that is your attitude, you have one of two problems. Number one, you either need to be saved. Or number two, you need to remember the message of the cross. But this is what we do. Many churches are aimless, drifting from one week to another with very little gospel urgency and even less focus on eternity. Can you imagine how our lives would change if as a church, and not just as a church, but as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, as a friend, as a son, if everything in my life came from the aspect of thinking about eternity. Every decision I make, every word I say. What if we as a church did this? What if everything in our, in, that we did focused on eternity? 
but we all we will all drift into a comfortable half-heartedness unless we are actively running the race unless we are actively putting the gospel first and being actively in obedient to Christ you know those athletes i talked about you know, one thing I love, and, and, you know, being a football fan, I love the Super Bowl. But one thing I really love is the very end of the Super Bowl. Because I love to see whichever team wins, win. I mean, the confetti, the, the screaming, the yelling, the crying. I mean, they have worked their whole life for that moment. How much more when you and I stand before a holy God, before this Jesus that gave himself for us, who is our Savior, our shepherd, to stand before him and reach the goal. The excitement. The joy. The joy and excitement that these athletes feel winning a championship is nothing compared to that. But you know what? Those athletes did not get there by half-heartedly preparing themselves. They didn't get there by half-heartedly being committed to the sport they love. They gave it everything they had. And this is what Paul's saying. Paul says, look, I'm giving everything I have for one goal, that those who are lost might hear the gospel. That's all that matters. Every day, for you and I, the finish line is closer and closer and closer. The Bible says that today is our salvation nearer than it was yesterday. Today, we are closer to standing in the presence of Christ than we were yesterday. I'll do you one better. Right this very minute, we are closer to standing nearer to Christ than we were five minutes ago. What are we doing with our lives? What are you doing with your life? Who dominates your life? Who dominates? What dominates your thinking? What dominates your decision making? If it's anything but Christ, I want to tell you what's going to happen. Like that Lombardi trophy, one day it's all going to be dust. It's going to be gone. One day all of our money will be gone. All our accolades will be gone. Everything. Only that which is done for Christ will last. One day it will pass through the fire and it will either be wood, hay, and stubble or gold and silver. You know what happens to wood, hay, and stubble through the fire? Just a puff of smoke. But the gold goes through the fire and it burns off the dross and it comes out pure and beautiful and fit to be used. And this is what Paul is saying. What are we doing with our lives? Paul's discipline, dedication in this chapter should challenge us. What better creed could we have than to say all of life for the sake of the gospel? All of life for the sake of the gospel. The wonderful thing is that everything can be done for Christ if we're prepared to make Christ and his gospel the controlling factor in our lives. And, and, and honestly, folks, now, I'm not just pointing my finger at you. I'm pointing my finger at myself, too. 
knowing where we were, dead in our trespasses and sins, knowing that when we were dead, Christ came and he, the great shepherd, called and we heard. And he gave us life, eternal life, forgave every sin. How could we do any less than give everything for him? How can we do that? So Paul's challenged for us this morning. He says, look, as a believer, yes, you're free to live your life ever how you want. But you need to live it for Christ. And we all have to say the same thing. Discipline yourself. Prepare yourself. Make the necessary sacrifices. And say, I'm willing to lay it all aside. To see my unsaved family member saved. To see my neighbor that's lost saved. To see my co-worker that's on their way to hell repent and come to Christ. That's what matters. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for our blessed Savior. That, Father, when we were dead in our trespass and sins, when we were lost and abiding under your wrath and on our way to a eternity in hell, you and your great love and your great mercy made us alive in Christ. Father, may we never move away from the message of the cross. From the message that we must deny ourselves and take up our cross in order to be his follower. Oh, God, forgive us for how we failed you. Forgive us for our half-heartedness. Forgive us for the idols that we allow to take uh, precedence over you. And, Lord, help us this morning. Father, we call on you. That, Lord, that you might strengthen us. That your spirit might bring to mind what Christ has done. That we might remember the gospel every day. And, Father, that we might be, have a gospel-centered mentality in every aspect of life. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and turn to page 284.